Hey friends, this is Reiko Zek, the pastor at St. Paul's. This is day number 36 of the One Year Bible Podcast. Thank you for joining me for Jesus in the Center. We're going to see how our Lord Jesus comes today with his word, word of promise. We're going to jump right in as we read Exodus 21 to 23 and Matthew 24. We're going to spend most of our time in Matthew 24. It it can be very confusing, but we'll, let's first take a look at a few things from Exodus. All right, remember where we are. God is making a covenant with his people, and it is a conditional covenant. I'm going to do my part, and if you do your part, I'm going to make you my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a light to all the peoples on earth. So God makes this covenant with his people. And by the way, we normally think of it in terms of commandments, but if you look in the context of it, it starts, is it law or gospel? It's gospel. God says, I am the Lord your God. And what have I done? I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives these words. They are both promises and commands. I shall be your God. You are going to be my people. And so you can call on me anytime. You can set aside time to hear my word and to remember my salvation. You are going to honor your father and mother so that I might bless you in the land. You're not going to kill anyone. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal you're not going to bear false witness. You're not going to covet. I will be your God. Now, those are both commands and promises. It starts, though, with the promise of what God has done and will continue to be. I am the Lord your God. Remember, God is the existing one. That's like the moral stipulations of the law. They're promises, commands that will endure. And then there's the civil stipulations. We started reading about those yesterday, and this is how how will this be played out in the land? When you go to Canaan, this land that I'm going to give you, how are you going to live? And so there are some rules and laws. This is like the fine print of the contract. And the people said, we'll do it. And so here's the here's how it's going to go. I don't know how much time you spent on this, but just the first part of the reading, interesting, isn't it? That uh, God, God says that uh, verse 22 of chapter 21 when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm. The one who hit her shall be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But, this is verse 23, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. This is just something to notice that from the beginning here in Exodus, that a life or a thing in the womb, if it is harmed, if it is killed, it's assumed that it is life. It is not just a cluster of tissues. It is not a life when it is born and comes out alive. God says here, if it is harmed and is not allowed to come to birth, then there, then it's, it's the taking of a life. Also, I noticed in the midst of all these rules that a slave could be redeemed or bought for 30 pieces of silver. Interesting, isn't it, that Christ our Lord was betrayed for this same amount, the price of a slave? Anyway, there's other things in there with a lot of restitution. Just a quick story, verse 10 of chapter 22. It says this, If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. Right. So they're going to go before the priests or the judges and, and work it out. It says the owner shall accept the oath and he shall not make restitution. So uh, interesting, in, in uh, maybe you have stories like this. One time we borrowed a goat named Muscles because he was full of good genetic stock. He smelled about, you could smell him a quarter mile away. He was uh, musky. 
and he was ready to enlarge our herd. And one day he just was running around uh, the pasture, just doing a loop, and he dropped over dead. And so, oh my goodness, Muscles is dead. We borrowed this goat, and what do we do? We killed him. He just died. He was he was ready to go, and we had to figure out how to go about making this right with the, the owners of Muscles. Well, we worked it out. Interesting that we kept the Old Testament civil stipulation of the Mosaic Law by uh, just the owner accepting our oath that we didn't kill him and we didn't have to make restitution, although we were very grateful and we were very generous to them with some of our other farm produce and so on. Anyway, there's other things here about how they're going to live. They're going to live and not call on other gods. Several times we'll see this. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to allow someone who is calling on demons to live. You're not going to speak the name of other gods. God will be your God. One other interesting note, it says this in uh, chapter 22, verse 25, something that we completely disregard. Our whole economy is based on breaking this. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. This is exactly opposite of how most people in America make money. We make money off interest. It's either by investing our money and getting interest or uh, by borrowing you know, a, a mortgage and then paying a bunch of interest or a mortgage on a, on a car. We pay so much money. In the Old Testament, in, in the ancient world, this was called usury, U-S-U-R-Y, and it was not allowed. Now, there are exceptions. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 20, it says that you are not allowed, you are allowed to lend money at interest, it would be a modest interest, to a foreigner. Because just like today, if I lend money out, am I sure I'm going to get it back? I'm risking it. So part of that risk is getting some interest. But it does say that you are not to charge interest to your brothers. Just something to note for us. We're not bound to the law of Moses, but there's a lot of common sense things that God put in here so that we might live at peace. And I think that charging interest, high interest especially, it is just wrong. And it, it ruins many people. If there was enough money around and, and people did not need to use money to make money, they could lend to young couples, here's money for a house, pay it back in the next 10 years, and they didn't have to pay interest. Think how much more stable our economy would be. In Matthew chapter 24, I'll read this out of the ESV. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. In Mark, it says the, the beautiful stones. But he answered them, you see, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is talking about the, this, this beautiful temple and how it will be destroyed. Remember, Right earlier than this, we yet left yesterday's readings with, with this. He says, uh, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He says, your house is left to you desolate. And so he's going to describe the desolation that is going to come upon Jerusalem. So he's sitting down on the Mount of Olives. So he goes down the valley and up the other side. And they're, they're looking over the city with this beautiful temple. The temple is, it's the same footprint as uh, Solomon's temple, but it is so much taller. It's about 15 stories tall. They just enlarged it by, it's almost like a an, an ancient skyscraper. 15 stories would have been 
a skyscraper. It was huge. It was covered with gold. I can't imagine the, the wealth that had been poured into that place. So as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus is going to, and this chapter and, and the other chapters, similar, Mark 13 and other places, it creates a lot of confusion, especially ever since a guy named, uh, I believe his name is Darby, William James Darby. He invented this doctrine that we call the rapture, that he said that there will be a secret coming of the Christ. Jesus will come back and he will uh, pull out of the whole world all the true Christians and he will take them to heaven. And then this great tribulation will happen upon the earth. And then some more people will become Christians. And then Jesus will finally come at the end. Well, no one believed that until the 1800s. That was not something that anyone would read this scripture and ever have said in the ancient world, in the, in the early church. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. But just as we go, Jesus is being asked this, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And so he says, don't be led astray. We might think that if there's a war, there's another war in Russia and Ukraine, or there's a war in Israel, we might think, okay, this is a sign of the end. Uh, Jesus is about to come back. Well, that's exactly opposite of what Jesus says. He says in verse 6, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. There will be many, many wars. It's commonplace, Jesus says, between now and when I return, there will be all this chaos in the world. And then he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Don't expect that the world being a mess is a sign of the end. It's just always going to be a mess until I come back and fix it. And then notice verses 9 to 14. And Jesus says that in this time before I come back, it's not going to be easy. I've circled some of the words that will happen to the disciples. Uh, they'll be delivered up. That's the same word they use of Jesus, delivered up, handed over to tribulation, they'll be put to death, will be hated. Many will fall away. Many will betray. Many will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise. Many of these false prophets will lead people astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. That's all the things that could happen, all the bad things that will happen in the church and to the church. And then he says in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus is saying, between now and when I come, you all need to stand firm. I'm going to flip over to Romans chapter 5, verse 2. This is a great uh, verse as a reminder that's kind of like the song, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Here is Romans 5, verse 2. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we've been, by faith, brought in. We have access to God, and in that grace, we stand. Jesus is here saying all the things that you will endure, but you stand in my grace by, your, by the faith that I give you, in the hope that I give you. Now we are going to get to something that is pretty confusing for many people. Jesus says, so 
when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, and that's three times in the, in the book of Daniel, Daniel 9, uh, 11, and 12, when you see that, Jesus says, when this, this thing spoken of by Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who want on the housetop go down and so on. What is Jesus here talking about? Is he talking about the end of the world? Can we flee to the mountains at the end of the world, at the coming of Christ, at his return in glory to judge the, the quick and the dead? Will fleeing to the mountains help us? No, it will not. Jesus will say as much, you know, coming up. He's talking about something different than the end of the age. He's talking about when the temple will be destroyed, when every stone will be overturned. And he refers to the, abomin uh, the abomination of desolation. So check out, uh, check out if you're up for it, Daniel 9, verse 25 to 27. That's one place this is referred to. Now, in the book of Maccabees, which we don't consider scripture, but we do consider as uh, a faithful understanding of of the Jewish experience in uh, the centuries before Christ. So around one, uh, 168 BC, there was this guy who was basically a general descended from the, the rule of Alexander the Great. So they're called Seleucids. He was a king of an area right north of, of Jerusalem in Syria. His name was Antiochus, and he gave himself the name Antiochus Epiphanes, like the manifestation of God on earth. And so he he marched into the area of Jerusalem, and he, throwing him out is where Hanukkah comes from. But what he did was he he put an idol of Zeus in the temple. He desecrated the temple, and he sacrificed pigs on the altar, burnt offerings of pigs. This was horrible. This was a stench to the Jewish faith. And uh, so as the Jews revolted, and it was called the Maccabean Revolution, as they revolted to get rid of this horrible thing, uh, they, when they wrote about it, they said that this was a fulfillment of Daniel 9. A, uh, the abomination of desolation took place. Well, that same thing, Jesus says, yeah, it may have been fulfilled at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean Revolt, but it will also be occurring, occurring again. And so... What is Jesus talking about? Well, he says that all these things, this is earlier, so that he says, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. These are hard words, but this is, this is the consequence of the city of Jerusalem rejecting the Son of God, the Son of David, their king. So Jesus says, there, as much as I want to gather you, you, your house will be left to you desolate. So specifically, what am I talking about? I think this is a fulfillment of when the... Titus, this Roman general, marched in uh, to Jerusalem around 66 BC, and for four years they besieged this, the city. On Passover in 66 BC, they let all these Jewish travelers and worshipers into the city of Jerusalem, and then they did not let them out. For four years, the city was besieged until, you know, finally, uh, at that time, uh, they overthrew it, they overturned it, and they, they massacred the people, and there was a horrible horrible thing. Later, this guy Titus would become the emperor and there would be this grand arch of Titus that's in Rome that shows the the goods of the, the temple, the all the furniture in the temple carted out, uh, very similar to what happened with Babylon when Babylon destroyed the temple in 586 BC. 
how do I think, why do I think this is what Jesus is talking about? Because I think it's local. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, right? And Jesus here, I think, is warning the church in Jerusalem, when you see these things happen, get ready to go. When you see this general coming to enclose the city, get ready to go. And we know from church history, I think his name is Eusebius, this historian talked about how the church in Jerusalem read these words of Jesus and they interpreted the times that this was the time to flee. And they did. They fled to the wilderness and the church in Jerusalem became the church in the wilderness. Now, do I think that that experience is a lens to the end of the world? Yes. I think that the the fleeing to the mountains, the perceiving what's going on is a lens or a filter for the, the final coming of Jesus, for our world today. Yeah, for sure. But Jesus goes on here and says, don't be led astray. Don't be, don't let anyone tell you like, over there is the Christ or over there is Christ. He says, no, false teachers will come. They're going to say, there he is. Follow that Christ. But Jesus says this in verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, when I return, it won't be in secret. Everybody will see it. And in fact, that's probably the best way to interpret Daniel chapter 7. If you read the first part of Daniel chapter 7, also Revelation 1 verse 7, it says that every eye will see him and the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. When he comes, we will know. So you're not going to miss his coming. All right, well, we have more to talk about tomorrow. Uh, We'll talk about the rapture a little bit more in depth tomorrow and why I think that the rapture is a new invention, uh, that it's not the clear teaching of Jesus. Whether or not you believe in the rapture or not, I think what we need to do is, is, is do what Jesus says. Hold on. Hold on to him. Have faith in him. Endure to the end. And how do we do that? By standing, standing firm and saying that Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God and he will return in glory and he will come and judge the the living and the dead and his kingdom will endure forever. All right, well, there's much more to think about and ponder. You have questions, thoughts, confusions, let me know. I would love to, to talk about this with you. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.